Access is the Young Adults Ministry of Resurrection Life Church. We hope you enjoy this week's guest speaker. Good, good, good. I am so excited to be with you guys. Uh, let me ask, how many of you guys were here last time I spoke? You guys were here? Okay, how many of you were not here? That's the rest of you, right? How many of you guys aren't sure? You can't remember? Wish you were. My name's Clint. I'm so excited to be with you guys. Uh, as Nick said, I, um, I don't know if he said where I'm from, but I live in Kansas City. Have you guys heard of Kansas City? Home of the World Series champion Royals. You've heard of that, right? I don't know why around the country people don't celebrate the way we do in Kansas, but it's a big deal for us because we don't win a whole lot. But uh, anyway, exciting to be with you guys, uh, and uh, I just love this church. You guys love this church? I do. And I have so many incredible memories. Um, I was a youth pastor for 13 years, and uh, the last several of those years I was actually here in Michigan. I worked in, uh, in Kalamazoo, but we were a part of the Res Life uh, family, and so... Man, I have some sweet memories in this room of God speaking to me. As a matter of fact, God put on my heart uh, the church that I pastor now, uh, really by my times up here at this church and being a part of what God was doing. So it's a real privilege to be with you guys. Hey, I want to introduce to you guys my, my family. Uh, my wife and I just celebrated our 28th wedding anniversary. Amen. Yeah, she still likes me. I can't believe it. And um, we have six kids. You guys got the picture there. There's my fam. This was on spring break just about, what, three, four weeks ago. It's my oldest daughter. I just, I'm old. I talk about my kids. I'm my, my, my oldest daughter there, she is 23. She's at the King's uh, University. Uh, she's been going to the school at New Life in Colorado Springs. She's in youth ministry. She's the best preacher in our family. I'm, I'm third, by the way. It's her, then my wife, then me. I'm sorry, guys, you're stuck with third. And Anyway, she's awesome. She's going to be moving to Dallas this year, and she's doing, getting her master's degree at the Kings at uh, Gateway Church. And then my daughter on the right there is uh, Nicole. She's 20, and uh, she uh, works with our church, and she's all about advocacy for the unborn and all, all about advocacy really for anybody who's been displaced. And so she just spent, um, where was she? She was in Morocco. While she was there, I had to say, she's in Northern Africa. I couldn't say where she was. Uh, but she was there doing evangelism. She was there for two months. And uh, she's still trying to figure out what she wants to do. But she is the best, biggest prayer warrior I know. She pray, she's praying for me right now, probably. And then this is my son at the bottom. He's got the royal shirt. You can see that. He's 14. And he won the 100 meters today. I missed it. But he won it today. And uh, also through a discus, 124 feet, I found out today. So that was pretty good. And then Allie, she's my 11-year-old. I coach her basketball team. You see the two in the middle, they look just like me, don't they? That's Justice and Hannah. We adopted them from Ethiopia uh, four years ago. They're uh, six and seven. And they are either making me old or keeping me young. I'm not sure which. Uh, but that's my family. And I don't travel as much as I used to because I really, really like my family a lot, and I hate not being at track meets and things like that. So, but I really, it's a privilege to be with you guys. I bring greetings from my church, uh, Life Mission Church. We're a church plant of Resurrection Life Church International. As I said, I spent 13 years in youth ministry, and then we planted our church. Can't believe this, Tom. Can you believe it? 14 years ago, uh, we were commissioned by this church to go to my hometown, and we began in September of 2002. And man, God has blessed it. Uh, it's been incredible. Um, it really is amazing. I, um, I, uh, we moved home and we had a Bible study in our house and the thing grew and then we had our first service in September and we had about 100 people at our first service and uh, we had a bunch of people get saved the very first week we had church. The next week we had like 40 people. It was awesome. So uh, I ran 60 of them off. But then we grew from there. Now we're a church of about 3,000. We have three campuses, one in Olathe, uh, which is a suburb of Kansas City, one in Audible, which is out in the sticks. And uh, that's a whole story how I ended up doing that. I'll tell you just for fun. Uh, I, um, 
I uh, got invited uh, to do a funeral for a 19-year-old kid who took his life. And uh, this was about six years ago. And uh, I went and did this funeral. I didn't know him. I didn't know his family. I had played basketball on a, in a league with his with his cousin, and uh, so I ended up, that was, I was only, how do you know when that's the closest pastor you have, you're in trouble, right, and so they invite me to come to this funeral, I don't know any of them except this one kid I play basketball with, and I do this funeral, and all these people come to the Lord, you know, he was 19, and when you're 19, you still know a lot of people, and a uh, bunch of people came to the Lord, and before long, we had 70 plus people every week driving 30 minutes to come to our church, and so they became our launch team, and we started the church down there, and the thing has exploded, we just brought 70 acres down there, and we're creating a retreat center, all kinds of things. That church is growing like crazy. It's a campus video venue. And then we just started our third campus, which is in Shawnee, which is where I grew up. It's kind of a more rough part of town. And uh, just so excited to be able to get, uh, see what God's doing there. And uh, I'm grateful for Jesus. Anybody grateful for Jesus today? Yeah. Amen. I, uh, everybody has a story. I know you guys have stories, and uh, we don't have time to hear yours, but I get to share mine. Is that okay? Uh, I, uh, I didn't grow up in church at all. I didn't grow up. I, matter of fact, the day that I gave my life to Christ, I could not have quoted John 3.16. No, no lie. I didn't know any Bible. Uh, the only memory I really have of church as a child was I went to, the, I had some coaches. I played sports year-round. I had some coaches that uh, were Catholic, and so I went to some Catholic masses and don't remember much about that. Uh, I do remember I played in a basketball league one time when I was like about, oh, probably seventh or eighth grade, and uh, it was at this church, and when they got done, they had a pizza party and a movie, and I was like, cool, pizza party movie, and it was a movie about people being raptured. You, remember, you ever heard about those? And, uh, and uh, you know, and I remember it scared the hell out of me. I mean, no, it didn't do that, uh, but it scared me, and, uh, but that's the only memory I had of church growing up, and, uh, and so I was a mess as a, as a teenager. My dad was in out of prison most of my life. And uh, he's an abusive alcoholic. I uh, had lots of family that were involved in organized crime and things like that. So that was kind of my life. I was a fighter. I was all those type of things. And, uh, but, then, but then God. Aren't you happy for the, the, the but then God's? Isn't that a good thing when he says, uh, I got a job working at a body shop and um, working on cars. And um, the guy who owned the place loved Jesus. As a matter of fact, he was an Assembly of God pastor's son who had totally walked away from the Lord for like 20-some years. And when I met him, he was walking with the Lord. And uh, he was my boss. And I remember he'd walk into the shop every day. We'd all be in there, you know, doing our thing. He'd walk in, and he was a big old cowboy. And he'd be like, praise the Lord, glory to God. He, he was from Texas, you know. And, um, and he would talk about God all the time. He'd talk about what God was doing in his life. He'd quote verses to us. But the thing that freaked me out the most is that he'd always tell me he was praying for me. And I was like, dude, you were freaking me out. Quit that. I didn't know exactly what that meant. But um, he was always praying for me, praying for me. And he kept inviting me to church. And I, was, I was, did not want to go to church. Finally, his daughter invited me to church. And, uh, and I went. It was awesome. And um, I'm kidding. And I didn't marry her, by the way. Anyway, um, but I did go. And uh, God got a hold of my life. And that's a whole story. I have time to tell tonight. I really believe the Lord's put something on my heart to share with you guys, but um, I uh, walked into that church, a messed up, abused, hurting young man with violent tendencies. I've been kicked out of one school. I had a rap sheet. I had a, uh, a record, all kinds of things we won't go into, um, but I walked in there, that man, and I walked out a new man. Amen. He, be, he began to change my life, and uh, it was, it's been a journey. Matter of fact, May 17th, just coming up next month, 
will be my 30th uh, birthday in the Lord. And so uh, I look, amen, I look back and I think, man, I can't imagine. It's so almost amazing to think about who I was and what God's done. And since then, of course, I've been married 28 years. I got six kids and, and I'm pastor of church. And, and it's all by the grace of God. Because um, if you would have known anything about my family, if you would have known anything about my childhood, my mom was 16 when I was born. My dad barely knew her uh, when, when, when I was conceived. And, um, and, uh, but they ended up together for a few years and, and, and that whole deal. And just some of the, the things that are foundations for my life. I, in every way, was an accident, an afterthought, and yet, God, have you know, God had a plan for my life. And so listen, I don't know your story, but I want you to know that God does. And, uh, and he has a plan. Amen? And so uh, I want to share with you guys a message today uh, that, that's called They Said. And let me just set it up today. i got a little video I'm going to show you here in just a moment. Uh, but it's a, it's a message that I did just about a month or so ago at our church. I did a series. I'm going to give you a pieces of that. I can't give you the whole thing, of course. But uh, I'm going to give you little pieces of it. But it's a series that I did called They Said. And uh, we did a little media blitz because we were launching the church, the campus, Right in my hometown, right where I got kicked out of high school, right where I used to sell drugs, right where, you know, I got beat up by bullies and all those things. We planted this campus right there. And the guy who's past, pastoring that campus is a young man that I led to the Lord that, that also grew up in that same neighborhood. And uh, so he's right there doing it. And so what we did was we made this little video and we just blasted it all over social media for about a month leading up to our launch. And so the only people that saw this video were people who lived in that area, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. So I want you to see this video and then we'll jump into it. Check it out. They said I was hyperactive. They said I had behavior problems. They said I'd probably end up in jail. I'd be just like my dad. They said I had no future. But God said that he had a future and a hope for me, that I could be a great husband and a great father, that I have potential that I could break the chains of addictions that had plagued my family for generations, that his grace was more than enough for me. You know, they said are two little words, but let me tell you something. They pack a powerful punch. They seem simple. They seem really uh, kind of passive. They don't seem like a really big deal. But the truth is they said can have an incredible impact on every one of our lives. Have you guys remember uh, the little phrase that goes like this? Sticks and stones may break your bones, but that is a lie from the pit of hell. Words can kill. Words have incredible power. Remember, Scripture says that, that, that words have the power of life. And of death. Look at the Proverbs 18:21 in the Message Bible. It says, Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. And so the reality is this: that the sticks and stones break bones, but words will kill you. They have the potential to devastate our identity, our dignity, our morality, our identity, every aspect of our lives. And so what they said, we've got to be really intentional about how much of what they said. 
we listen to. They said can poison our hearts. I'm 47 years old and I still remember things that bullies said about me when I was a little kid. Uh, my dad was in prison when I was a little kid and, and my mom was just just so fine. I mean, everywhere we went, guys were hitting on my mom and, uh, and I remember uh, some of my friends making fun of me about my mom and I'd always throw down over that and I gotta be honest, I lost most of those fights and, um, and so uh, just words that were said, I remember things my dad said when I was a kid. Things he said about me, things he said about my mom, uh, things like that. And so we like to think that words don't have power. We'd like to think that we're bigger than that, that we're better than that, that we're above that. But the truth is, words not only sting, but they have the potential to devastate our lives. And the truth is, we all have things that they've said. You have things in your life that they've said that have tried to label you, that have tried to identify who you are, that have tried to dictate your future. The truth is many times what they said distracts us from reality. Sometimes it dominates our thinking. I've had people in my office that are dealing with a marriage issue or dealing with a morality issue or dealing with a, a call of God on their lives. And I don't know how many times just in the midst of somebody rambling on and talking about whatever's going on in their mind, somewhere along the way those two words come up, what they said. My dad said, my wife said, my kid said. My brother said, whatever it is, because words have power and they have the potential to consume how we think. As a matter of fact, they said has driven some people to suicide. Cyberbullying has become a big deal on social media. We've all read the headlines. We've heard the stories of people who've been, um, who have been bullied at some level uh, on, on, online. And it has the potential to devastate in so many ways. And sadly, what they said in the past will try to determine our future. And what they said often distorts, catch this, what God says. What they say will try to distort what God says about us, what he says about others, what he says about our future. And so we have to decide whether we're going to believe what God says or what they said. So I want to ask you today, and you don't have to answer out loud, but I want you to be honest with yourself. What does God say about you? See, if you don't know what God says about you, then what they say has the potential to have a lot more power. But if you know what God says about you, if you know what God has said about you, what God is saying about you, and if you believe that God is talking about you. By, by the way, I don't like it when people talk about, about me behind my back, but I love it when God does. Amen? And I'm going to tell you something. God's been talking about you behind your back. You know, God's always talking. The question is, are we listening? And I'm going to tell you tonight that God wants to tell you a little bit about who you are. Because everybody else is going to try to tell you who you are. They're going to try to put labels on you. But God... He already has the plan for you. He's the designer. He's the creator. He's the one that made you. And until you believe what he says, you're going to be tempted to believe what they say. But if you really believe what he says, then what they said begins to just bounce off. What they said begins, you can put it in context of what is true. But the answer to our question, what God says about us, let me tell you, it affects every area of our lives. It affects our relationships. It affects our morality. It affects our, our perspective, our potential. It affects our, our priorities. It affects our willingness to take risks. If you believe you're a failure, how do you know you're not going to take risks? If you believe you're stupid, you're not going to take that test the way that you should. You're not going to take that class. If you believe whatever it is, all those things. So let me say this about what God says about you. If you believe God's mad at you, you see how that would affect your life? If you think God's ignoring you. Well, I know a lot of people think God's ignoring them. I think a lot of people that believe that God has forgotten about them. 
that God's indifferent. Some of us, listen, we believe that God tolerates us. We're like, well, he made me. He's got to put up with me. That's how we feel. Well, if you believe that, that's going to affect your life. But if you believe that God created you for a reason, if you believe that God has a plan for you, if you believe that he genuinely values you, that's going to affect how you live. You guys see how that works? I remember when God began to deal with me about my warped image of myself. Now, i got to tell you, as a young man, most people would not have thought that I had a bad image of myself because I covered it. You know, we all wear masks. And so for me, I was aggressive. I was, I was one of the fastest kids in my class, things like that. So athletics became part of my identity. I was violent. And so uh, I would cover a lot of the shame and the pain that I had from my childhood with aggressive lifestyle. And there's usually that fight or flight, one way or the other. Well, I was a bit of a fighter. And so that was my response to that identity. But, but So on the outside, people might have thought I was confident, maybe even cocky, some other things. But the truth is on the inside, do you know how I saw myself? I saw myself as an accident because that's what I, told, I was told that I was. Matter of fact, my grandfather, bless his heart, I love him. And he's with the Lord now. But he told me a couple of times, and he didn't even realize really the seed that he was planting in my heart. But he was so devastated by the fact that his baby girl got married at 16 by a boy that he, did, he didn't even know. The he, those words came out of his mouth. My dad was incarcerated. We're living with my grandfather. He's the only father figure I have at that time. And he's telling me that I'm an accident. He's telling me how, and he didn't realize he was saying this. Because I don't even remember the exact words that he said. What I remember is what I heard. And what I heard was that I ruined my mother's life. That because I came on the scene, she didn't get to go to college like she would have. She didn't get to do that. And because of that, I, I, bear, I, I bought that. Hook, line, and sinker, man. I grabbed a hold of that thing, and I believed I was an accident. I believed that I had, I, I, in a lot of ways, I tried to take care of my mom more because I felt like I had been such a burden to her. There's a lot I could talk about there. And you guys, we all have stories. And we all have they says, and they try to label us, and they try to control who we are. And so you would people would have thought that, but I thought of worthless and poor. I also, we, were, we didn't have much money. My mom, I'm so proud of her. She put herself through school, raised me at the same time. And, uh, and, uh, but she, we, we lived in government housing. We went to the Wonder Bread store, and we got government cheese and all that stuff, and but we lived in government housing, but she got us in the best apartment complex we could get into. And I went to school with a lot of wealthy kids. I went to school with a lot of kids that had their act together. And so, boy, I always felt like the poorest kid in town. I always had the leftover shoes and the hand-me-downs. And I had a cousin that was wealthy, but unfortunately he was just, just a beanpole skinny. So I get his leftovers, and they'd be these T-shirts that were long and skinny. You know what I'm talking about? And I'd wear, and I've never been skinny, okay? And, uh, but, but so I always, those were the things that tried to identify me, and, and I let those get a hold of me. In fact, when I was a kid, I remember I was about seven or eight years old the first time my dad went to jail, and I'll never forget this as long as I live, because he was drunk, and he knew he was going. As a matter of fact, I've looked back, and I'm, it's all a little fuzzy for me. Did he know he was going because he went to court, and he was supposed to go turn himself in, or was he getting ready to run and he got arrested? I don't remember any of that. I'll have to ask him someday if he ever calls me back. But um, what I remember is this conversation that he and I had. And the conversation went something like this. He said, son, listen, we're Spriggs. And Spriggs are outlaws. We don't let anybody tell us what to do, especially women. 
That's some pretty... That's pretty lame, isn't it? Don't you hear that? You're like, man, that was was real. That was the culture that he was raised in. That was the way he lived, and he put that on me at about seven or eight years old. And I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I lived by that for about a decade. Sprigs are outlaws. We don't let anybody tell us what to do, especially women. Have you know that went real good with all the teachers that I had, (laughs) right? And, And I'm being raised by a mama. And so what happened was I lived my life with an attitude, nobody's going to tell me what to do. See, that label got on me. And I don't know what labels have tried to get on you. But we have to evaluate what they've said in accordance with what God said. We have to evaluate what we've believed about ourselves, and we have to push it through the filter of what God says. And if it doesn't make it through the filter, it's trash. You guys like, you see what I'm talking about there? We got to catch that. We got to believe what God says. So it wasn't until I started to believe what God says that my life really began to change. Let me tell you today, maybe you're here and you've dealt with feelings like you're an outcast. Or like you're unwanted or you're unloved. Maybe you've had some things spoken over you like I had spoken over me. Maybe victim's a word. Maybe abandoned is a word. Maybe addicted, maybe defeated. You know, feelings like these, they feel real, but have you no feelings lie? Somebody said, follow your heart. Don't follow your heart. It's deceitfully wicked above all else. You can't follow just your emotions and your feelings. we got to make decisions that we're going to live by what is true, not what feels real at the time. The only way to truly deal with these kind of issues is with the word of God. John 8 says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. You gotta know the truth. You gotta know what God says. And you've gotta, you've gotta be willing to go there. And one of the things I don't have time to do that I did with my church as we went through this series is I challenged them over several weeks to spend time with the Holy Spirit and invite the Holy Spirit to tell them the labels that they had embraced, to tell them the things that had been spoken about them that tried to identify them. And so I don't have time to walk with you in this, but the Holy Spirit does. And so I want to encourage you today as well to invite the Holy Spirit and say, what lies have I believed about myself? What labels have I allowed to stick and be a part of my life? See, we must rise above what they said and what they say and what we feel, and we must focus on what is real. Romans 12.2 says, do not copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. You know, the way that you think, it changes everything about your life. And the way that you think really is based on what you believe, whether you believe what they said or whether you believe what God said. It says, then you'll know what God wants you to do. You'll know what is good and is pleasing and his perfect will really is. So what has God said about you. Well, he says a lot. Like I said, he's been talking about you, and I did a whole series on this, but I tonight, I only have a little bit of time, but I want to give you three things that God says about you. Now, there's a lot of things that God says about you that are unique to you, and I don't know what those are, but Holy Spirit does, and I believe Holy Spirit wants to speak to you. Have you know God still speaks? As a matter of fact, he's always speaking. The question is, are we ever listening? But I want to give you three things today that are found right in the Word of God, and they are for you. Say, this is for me. 
this scripture is for you. I'm going to give you three verses, and they all have an identity that God wants you to know is yours. But you've got to believe it. And to the level that you're willing to believe it and receive it, it could change your life. But if you ignore it and you refuse to receive it, well, that's going to change your life too. It's a why in the road, and we have to choose what we're going to do with the truth that I'm about to throw down today. And the first one is one of my favorite verses. It's Ephesians 2.10. And I love this. It says, we are God's masterpiece. Everybody say masterpiece. It says, he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The first thing God says about you is that you are his masterpiece. Everybody say, I'm a masterpiece. Do you believe it? It's true. God says it's true. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a masterpiece. How's that feel? That feels good, doesn't it? Look at him now. Look at him again and say, I'm a masterpiece. Now do it this way. Say, look at him again. You can do this. Say, I'm a masterpiece and you're a piece of work. <laughs> We're all a work in progress. But we've all been designed by God on purpose for a purpose. We gotta believe it. We gotta receive it. And he says, We are his masterpiece. I checked up this word in the Greek. It's an amazing word masterpiece workmanship. Here's the way it's defined it means created. And let me just, as I talk to you today, at your age, I know I sound like an old guy at your age, but at your age, Listen, you guys have been sold a bill of goods, one of the first generations in American history that have been told that you are an accident, that you're the result of chance, that you're the result of some chemical combustion, that you were not planned by a planner, but that you just accidentally happened. Now, I'm the same way. I'm a Gen Xer, but we were told that as kids. And if we believe that, well, that changes the trajectory of our lives. But if we believe that we're created, that we're the masterpiece of a master craftsman, by the way, the one who made the Rocky Mountains, the one that made the sea, the one that made, you know, all the beauty of the earth, he made you. As a matter of fact, all those things are an idea, but you're made in the image of God. And we got to believe that we were created by God on purpose for a purpose. Look what else it says about masterpiece. It says appointed. I love that. We aren't just created to just kind of ramble through life. No, God has appointed us for things. He's a, he has a calling on your life. And that's not just if you're a pastor or a, an evangelist or a missionary. That All of us have a calling. And our calling, number one, is to know him. And then at whatever level and whatever sphere God gives us and whatever uh, world he calls us to impact, we're to make him known. In our church, we, we have a little phrase, our mission is go. We talk about it all the time. It's a big value for us. Our church is life, mission, church, and we're all, we live life on mission. But our mission is go, God and others, all the time. That's my mission this morning, God and others. That's what I do. Everything else is secondary. And you know who's not in there? Me. <laughs> it's not about me, amen? It's about God and it's about others. And if I live my life that way, the truth is, I'll become who God called me to be more than I ever was just worrying about myself, looking out for number one. And so, well, the truth is, we've been appointed by God. And then it says, designed for a purpose. 
See, we're made by a maker. We're designed by a designer. He has a plan for us. There's a purpose behind who we are and what we do. And then it says accomplishment. And that's a good one. I like that one. Everybody say, I'm an accomplishment. And then finally, artistic expression. I love that. You can say it. Go ahead. God calls us a masterpiece. I wish I had time to unpack that more. I preached a whole sermon on it, but I, I really want to go to the second one because you re, all, I think all three of these are so key. And so the second one I want to look at today is in, in John 1. This is Jesus. It's about, to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. The second thing that God says about you is that you're his child. So number one, you're his masterpiece. You're created by him. Number two, he calls you his child. It doesn't matter what family you come from. Every one of us are invited into his family. Aren't you glad? Galatians 4 says this. It says God sent him Jesus to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because you Gentiles have become his children, God has sent the, sent the spirit of his son into your hearts by which we can call out, Dear Father, or Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but you're God's own child. Let me tell you, this verse has been huge in my life. Because the truth is, on both sides of my family tree, there were people that were slaves to chemicals, to alcohol, to addiction, to thrill, and so on my dad's side, I had all these outlaws and rebels and abusers. And on my mom's side, a lot of chemical dependency and alcoholism and more kind of behind the, behind the closed door type of addictions. But on both sides, those things tried to label me. They've tried to label my family. And my last name in my hometown, uh, we were known as rebels. We were known as all those things. And as a matter of fact, when I first came to Christ, I, for about six months, I wanted to change my name. I was ashamed of my last name. And then the Lord began to reveal to me. He said, no, I adopted you to my family. You know what? We're not going to change your name. We're going to redeem that name. And so now I'm a pastor in my hometown. And you ask people about the Sprague name now, and it's that, that, that old reputation's gone. Now, the, oh, that's Pastor Clint Sprague. And, oh, yeah, his flamethrowing daughter and his son who wins the track meets. That's, that's who the Spragues are. Why? Because God has redeemed that thing. Amen? And so regardless of what your history's been, God is a redeemer. And regardless of what your family tree has been and all those types of things. And so, you know, we adopted two kids from Ethiopia. And um, that's been an amazing journey in and of itself. And, and both of them were abandoned at birth. Now, I tell you that now. And, I'm, and they, they will know that as they get older. And we've talked about that. They know they're adopted. They know that we don't know where their parents are, that type of thing. But I know that's a label that's going to try to carry. It's going to try to travel. It's going to try to go with them wherever they go. And so as a father, my, one of my main roles in their life is to remind them over and over and over again that while they were abandoned, because I'm not going to lie to them and tell them something that's not true, that's worse, amen? But while they were abandoned, they also were chosen because I chose them. I chose them, and I paid a bunch of money, and I went through a bunch of court, and I had to fly over there a couple times, and I sacrificed time, talent, and treasure because they are important to me. And I picked them, and I brought them home, and I clothed them, and I share all that because that's a microcosm, a very microcosm of what God has done for us, that he's adopted us into his family. And regardless of what was done to us or through us or whatever as kids, he chose us 
and he calls us his own, and we can live as his kids. Amen? Now, I love watching my kids. I love watching my kids do what they do. My oldest daughter, as I told you, she's in Bible college, and so she calls me all the time. We talk almost every day, and uh, she'll call me, and if she's working on an assignment or something, she'll, you know, if she wants to talk about, you know, whatever class she's taking, and I love it, because I'm learning with her and all that kind of, I love watching her do what she does. She speaks to young people all over the country. She's been a part of the, des- so you guys heard of, probably heard of Desperation Band and those conversations. She's been a part of that ministry, and so I, I've seen her preach to thousands of kids and all kinds of things, and I love watching her do what she does. And then my second daughter, she's a people lover. She's more one-on-one, pray for people. I love watching her do what she does, mentoring, encouraging. My son, you know, he made the city football team last year and all. I love watching him do what he does. And then my, my alley girl, I coach her basketball team year-round and, and uh, she's a post-up machine and uh, she's got that drop. St- anyway, uh, I love watching her do what she does. And then uh, little Justice and Hannah, my, my Justice, he's my seven-year-old. Um, my son, Lee, Levi, who's 14, he and I are coaching Justice's flag football team. And uh, so Levi runs the defense because he's a linebacker. and I run the offense because I'm a wannabe quarterback. And anyway, um, and so we do that together. And we, we've had a couple games. Last week, Justice, um, he, uh, he caught an interception in the end zone over his head like this. Some of you know that's a big deal for a seven-year-old kid. Boom, caught it. And if this was the out of bounds on the backside of the end zone, he stopped right there. Now, at this age, the coaches are on the field. So I'm like right over there when he caught it. And I was like, run! And he turned and he ran almost, he almost made it, man. He had 40-yard return. He had two touchdowns and an interception. Have you know, Daddy was pretty happy about that. Amen. That was fun. Matter of fact, I got to tell you one more thing. He's Ethiopian. He's got that Ethiopian stride. I mean, he is... Matter of fact, I was joking not too long ago. I told somebody, I said, he is, he's got wheels. He gets that from his dad. I never met his dad, but he got wheels. Anyway, so he, um, okay, anyway, so I, I love watching my kids do what they do, but I don't love them because of what they do. I love them before they were. Four of them, I talked to them in the womb. Two of them, we prayed for them across the sea. My wife used to look at the pictures on the computer and just cry. And I'd be like, we need to go to bed, baby. She's like, I know. (laughs) We loved them before they could do anything. We love watching them do what they do. And sometimes we don't like what they do. (laughs) Sometimes they do things that we wish they hadn't done. Sometimes they say things. We're like, oh, where'd that come from? That must come from his dad, too. Uh, You know, all those things. But we don't love them because of what they do. We love them because of their who. Because they're our kids. And I want you to hear that today. That is the heart of your heavenly father. He loves it when you run your race. He loves it when you you have victory. But I'm going to tell you something. Even when you fail, you're still his kid. And he loves you. And he values you. And he calls you his kid. And you know what? In our home, one of the things my wife has done, we have these what we call Sprague-ways. That's my last name, Sprague. We have these things called Sprague-ways. We're winners, not whiners. We speak life, not death. We build up. We don't tear down. We have all these things in our home. When you got six kids, you got to have some standards. Amen? But one of the things my wife has just just pounded in uh, as a value in our family is that our home will be a safe place to fail. 
And you can come home and you can tell us the uh, worst of your day and the best of your day. And we're going to love you anyway. You know why? Because that's the heart of our Heavenly Father. And the sooner we catch that and the sooner we get that and we realize our identity is, 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 is totally founded and our roots are built in the reality that he chose us before we ever chose him. And he loved us before we ever served him. That we can serve in the freedom of knowing that's just who I am. I am his child. Amen? Okay, that's another sermon I can't preach. But, but, but it's so important that we get that. One last thing I want to give you guys today, and this is really key, you guys. This is, if, if I had to pick one of them, which I didn't, I got to pick three. But if I had to pick one for you guys, as I was praying today, it was this one. Okay, here it is. It's, it's found in John. It says this, No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all the things I've heard from my Father I've made known to you. The third thing God says about you that you have got to catch is he calls you his friend. You're God's BFF, man. Besties, God wants you to know him at that level. God wants you to do life with him. Have you guys ever had a bestie, BFF, a good friend? Some of you guys are like, ah, oh, you know, I got a buddy. I got somebody to hang out with. But. I want you to think about growing up. Think about the people that you would have called your best friend. Now, my 11-year-old, she's got like 14 best friends. She's like whichever one's over at the time, right? But, you know. But some of us, listen, we have best friends that, man, they, you know, they're, they're like this group of besties. But then all of us probably at some point in your life, you have a memory of that friend. Maybe you're still in their life today. That you know you can call them anytime. In fact, I want you to think about what do you do with your best friend? I was, I was going to make a list one time. I was doing this message. I said, uh, what, do, what do you do with your best friend? You know what I end up writing? Everything. That's what you do with your best friend, everything, right? You do the big things and the little things. Isn't that true? Like this year, I've got a friend. He's an he's a, um, alumni of, um, of KU. You ever heard of them, Jayhawks? I know you guys aren't fans down here, but up here. Uh, but but uh, we're kind of into the KU Jayhawks. Any Michigan State fans? Okay, you guys will be happy to know my son. He was born in Michigan, and he's like got green blood. I don't know what happened. But he is a hardcore Sparty. But anyway, um, my, I've got a guy in my church, and he's an alumni of KU. KU's about 40 minutes from us. We actually planted a church in Lawrence. It's thriving, doing really well. And uh, anyway, so um, my friends are, and so I get tickets to KU games all the time. And it's a lot of fun. And I take my best friend Levi, my son, all the time. And, uh, but, um, but, you know, I, I, you get tickets. And if you got tickets to a KU game or to something that you're really into, who do you call? You call your friend, Right. But you also call your best friend when you have nothing to do. Isn't that true? So when you got the best thing to do or when you got nothing to do, your best is who you call. Well, don't you know that God wants to be that for you? I did youth ministry for 13 years. We used to do these skits. I mean, it's so funny to look back and think about that. But we used to do these skits. And we used to have this one skit that we did, this little drama thing. And it was this girl. And she was in her room. And she was a teenage girl. And she was in her room. And Jesus was in the room. And I don't know why we always pick like this creepy dude to play Jesus. But anyway, so this guy, and he played Jesus. And I mean, it was so corny, man. Jesus would be standing there in a robe, and he'd have a Bible in his hand. And, 
And, and he didn't talk. This Jesus in this, in this skit didn't even talk. I've looked back at the, that and thought, why did I ever let them do that? Anyway, but here's the way the skit went. His, um, so she's in her room, and she's getting ready to go somewhere. All right? And she's getting ready to go somewhere. Uh, Jesus is hanging out on the bed reading the Bible. <laughs> he is the Bible, right? I mean, he is the word. Anyway, so he's there. He's like flipping through the Bible. I used to joke. I, I think he was checking that translation for, for, you know, authenticity. Anyway, so she'd be talking or whatever, and then she starts talking to Jesus about what she's going to do. And she's like, yeah, and this and that. And then she's like, and then all of a sudden it dawns on her that Brian might be there. And then she's like, but you know, you probably wouldn't like Brian very much. And they go, I won't go into the whole skit, so I'm about to, but I better not. (laughs) At the end of the day, what happened was, as she's reasoning in her head, she thought to herself, you know what, I probably shouldn't take Jesus today. So she's getting ready to leave the room to go on this date with her buddies or girls, you know, her besties, whatever. And Jesus is like following her. And then she's like, actually, I don't think you'd like these friends. Why don't you stay here and read your Bible, you know? And so that was the whole skit, the way it went or whatever. And, uh, but Jesus just kept, kept trying to go with her. And, you know, I look at that and I think, you know, are our lives like that? Are there aspects of our lives we just don't take Jesus with us? Because, see, he is your best friend. He's a friend that stays closer than a brother. He's always got your back. He's always got your best in mind. He's always available. He never ignores your texts. Ever. He is attentive to every prayer. And yet how often do we ignore him? As a matter of fact, I think one of the things that's interesting, look at Proverbs, it says this. It says, a man who has friends must himself be friendly, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You know, I think a lot of times when we think about friendship with God, it's really one-sided. We think about what kind of friend God is with us. But have you ever thought about the fact that God invites you to be his friend? That means God makes himself, it's kind of, it sounds a little, you know, a little like heresy, but it's not. He makes himself vulnerable to you. That doesn't mean you have the opportunity to break his kneecaps or steal, you know, his iPhone or anything like, you know, some enemy would do. But it's because he loves you, you have the potential to hurt his heart. He makes himself vulnerable to you. And he invites you to be his friend, and it's a two-sided relationship. Matter of fact, I want to ask you, have you ever prayed this kind of prayer? This is... Listen, when you're friends with someone, you value what they value, even if you don't totally understand it. I went to an opera deal one time, okay, and I've never gone back, okay, but I went because I had a friend that was into it, and then after that, I said, you know, if you ever get tickets to the KU game, call me, okay? But you know, the truth is that if you have a friend that you really value, you'll value what they value even if you don't understand it. Have you ever prayed this kind of prayer? Have you ever asked God, God, what's on your heart? Because you know, here's the thing. Is that I think so often our friendship with God is one that's about me and my, and, and we get it because we're like, God doesn't need anything from me. God doesn't need my advice. 
God doesn't need to just vent about that third hour teacher I had or my new boss or my neighbor. He doesn't, that's not God. God is perfect. So he certainly doesn't need me to listen to him or to be there for him. And yet it's interesting when you look at Jesus, because Jesus, when you look at Jesus, you see the heart of the Father. Jesus had besties. Jesus had close friends. And he didn't want that to just be a one-sided relationship. Of course, we have Jonathan, we have Peter, we have James, we have the 12. We see that God is honestly, listen, God is not just a God of relationship. God is a relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God is a relationship. And the kingdom of God is all about relationship. God looked at man and he said, it's not good that he be alone. All the ladies said, I know that's right. They need us, right? <laughs> so we know that we need him. But have you ever thought about the fact that, well, I don't know that it's, maybe it's heresy to say God needs us because he's complete without us. But he chooses to be vulnerable to us. So I want to challenge you to consider a new prayer. Maybe a prayer you've never prayed before. God, what's on your heart today? God, what's, what's on, what are you thinking about? And, and don't categorize. Don't, don't, I mean, you can. You can say, God, what's on your heart for access? God, what's on your heart for my small group? God, what's on your heart for the people at my work? God, what's on your heart for my family? God, what's on, those are all good prayers, but they take on a level of missional. They take on a kind of a, you know, and they're all good. Do all those things. But I want to challenge you to back up a little bit. And when you're with the Lord, which I highly recommend that you spend time with the Lord. And, and I'm going to tell you, one of the things my 20-year-old daughter, uh, she's the prayer warrior. One thing she's had to learn, man, she just puts her phone away. Because, man, that phone will, it, as soon as you decide to be with Jesus, everybody else wants to be with you. It's the devil, okay? Just... Even Jesus rebuked his best buddy, Peter. He said, get behind me, Satan. Right? So don't say that to your friends, okay? Freak him out. Text him, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> and then the little emoji, ah, you know? So don't do that, okay? But listen, we need to carve out time to be with Jesus. And when you're with him, just be with him. Jesus told his disciples in John 14, he says, it's good that I go away because if I didn't go away, I couldn't send a counselor. Because I go away, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who will be with you always. He's your comforter, your counselor, your helper, all those things. And he's going to lead you into all truth. And every time you get still, every time you choose to turn off the phone or put it in a drawer and you, you turn off the TV or whatever you're into and you close the, the laptop and, and, you, and you close the door, you get, sometimes I, you know, I pray in my car because I have six kids, okay? And, um, but you get along with God. Holy Spirit wants to speak to you in those moments. And I'm afraid that sometimes what we do is we go to him with our list. And if we don't have a list, we feel guilty. So we go ahead and make one up on the fly. But what if we just say, God, what's on your list? God, give me your heart. Now, I don't have time, unfortunately, tonight. I wish I did. I have a lot more I could say. But I, I, I had a situation a, a, a few years ago where um, I prayed a prayer like this. I just said, God, what's on your heart today? 
And um, it, it was crazy, crazy, you know, kind of chain of events that happened. But um, I ended up reaching out to somebody that I barely knew and uh, just sharing, sharing the gospel with them that day. And, um, and, and it was kind of a cold conversation, like it didn't go the way that I thought it would go. And, uh, and then later, about two or three weeks later, that person showed up at our church and gave their life to the Lord. And um, I remember when I walked away from that conversation thinking, well, that was, a, that was it was at a Starbucks. And um, sometimes God sneaks in Starbucks. He doesn't like it a lot, but he sneaks in there. I'm there. I'm always there. He finds me there. Anyway, um, I'm sorry. I can't go. I'm about to go there, and I can't. I don't have time, so forget that. Just throw that off. Shouldn't have done that. God has assignments for us. He has, listen, opportunities for us. And I believe one of the reasons that believers, Christians, followers of Jesus, people that worship like you guys, which was awesome, I believe one of the reasons that many times we're bored is because we think life's all about us. We've been told that over and over again. We've got to find ourselves, fulfill ourselves, all these things. Listen, I'm going to tell you something, man. If we would just begin to just shift our mindset and realize that life's all about him. And so here's a powerful prayer. Wherever you are, I don't know where it is, Big B, wherever you're at, what if you had this mentality? What if you were like, God, what are you doing here? And how can I be a part? See, that's what a friend does. You know, I'm a senior pastor of a church of about 3,000. We got campuses, we got other things going on. And then sometimes I get to come up here. I'm a part of the lead team for our church planning organization that's based out of here. And when I come up here, I have a totally different role. You understand that? And then, like, my daughter, uh, you know, that's 11, I'm what's called a watchdog at her school, okay? And so on a rhythm, I'm there as just a father figure. Nobody cares about, nobody calls me Pastor Clint. A couple of them call me coach. <laughs> but uh, listen, we all have different roles in different places, and what if in those places that we're at, our role wasn't just watchdog, senior pastor, part of this lead team, whatever the categories are, you know, cashier, you know, retail assistant, whatever your, what if our biggest label that we put on ourselves was, I am a masterpiece. I am designed by God. And not like a peacock, check me out, I'm a masterpiece. Not that one. But I was designed by God on purpose for a purpose. And he has a plan for me. And I'm a vessel that he can pour living water through. And number two, I am his child. I'm an heir to the throne. I have refrigerator rights in the house of God. I can go to the pantry and expect there to be stuff there. God is a provider and a protector and he's got my back. And he already signed me up for that team. He already has a plan for me. He has a purpose for me, and, and I get to be his friend. That means he, listen, he confides in me things he may not confide to everybody else. You know, if you really want to be a friend to somebody, you take time to listen when they talk. If you want to be a friend of God, take time to listen when he talks. Amen. Man, I just totally blew my notes. I had a lot of other things to say, but I, I, I want to challenge us today. I want to challenge really two things I just want to leave you with. I appreciate you guys' patience putting up with me. Um, the first one is I want to challenge you to get along with God and invite Holy Spirit to reveal to you the labels that have been put on you 
that are lies. And, 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 and for them to be brought into the light. And then to ask God for scripture that exposes those lies and reveals truth. So we can begin to believe what he said. I gave you a few today. There's a lot more in the scripture than what I could give you in one service that God says about you. That's number one. Number two is to begin to live a lifestyle of friendship with God. Saying, God, what are you doing here and how can I be a part? Because you know what? Listen, that's the label that you need to wear. That's your identity. His, his masterpiece, his kid, and his friend. Have you guys want to live that way? Let me just pray for you. Father, I thank you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name, God, that we would stop believing the lies of the enemy, that we no longer listen to what they said. We believe what you said. God, I pray today in Jesus' name. As a matter of fact, I just speak out right now. I come against those voices. Just, just to quiet your hearts before the Lord. I believe the Holy Spirit wants to speak to some of us right now. Some of you have victim on you. I want you to hear this today. That Father knows. He knows why that label's on you. And he doesn't expect you to ignore it. He expects you to allow him to heal it. Because, see, he is the great physician. And he will come into that place and he'll bring healing if you'll let him. Years ago, my son, who's just an incredible little athlete, he wrecked his bike, he broke his leg, and he was out in the cul-de-sac, and I ran out to him, and I said, son, i got to take you to the hospital. And he was like, no, I don't want to go. He didn't want anybody to touch his leg. Some of us are that way with our wounds and our hurts from the past. But the only way to get healing is to let the physician touch, to let him have his way. So some of us have victim on us, and today, listen, you've got to begin to believe that God is the great physician. Some of you feel like you've been ignored by God. You feel like a failure. And I want you to know this today, that he's watching you. He knows every step you've taken. Some of us, you feel like you took a dead end or you took a wrong turn. And I want you to know today, he's rerouting. <laughs> God's GPS, he is rerouting for you right now. And he says, if you'll just tap in, if you'll just listen for my voice, I'll begin to speak fresh and anew to you. I'll begin to reveal to you who you are. I'm going to invite the worship team to come. I don't know what song they're going to sing, but I want to challenge you today. Don't just sing this song. Meet with God in this place right here, right now. Some labels are going to get ripped off, and God's going to begin to speak some things into your life. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're doing that even now in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you'd like to join us live, we meet every Thursday night at 7 p.m. in the ground floor at ResLife in Granville, Michigan. Or you can watch us online at reslife.org slash live. You can also keep in touch with the Access Ministry on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at AccessRLC.